You ask and we answered. In this new episode, Christian counselor and classical Christian education advocate Keith McCurdy is back to answer your questions and to share updates from the front lines of being on our school campuses, addressing current questions from educators and parents and students on the many unique challenges and opportunities in raising the next generation in this cultural moment. Join us for this conversation on this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. A special welcome to those of you who are listening for the very first time and a thank you for those of you who've been listening for over five years now as we have been making our way week over week through these important conversations around classical Christian education to parents and educators alike. We are on this episode doing something a little different that I'm especially excited about. Our good friend Keith McCurdy, who has been often on our show for a full episode, and of course the McCurdy moments that are often during the breaks, is going to be joining me today to go through a series of frequently asked questions and questions that are coming from you, the listeners. So we definitely appreciate info at basecamplive.com questions. Now, not only for me just to say where you're listening from, what's on your mind, always glad to hear from listeners, but in particular about once every, certainly once a quarter, if not more often, we'll bring Keith on and make our way through a series of questions that are on your mind. So info at basecamplive.com, love to hear from you, and we'll be getting to the full interview with Keith here in just a moment. Speaking of Keith McCurdy, I should also mention he will be live on many of your school campuses as he's traveling, and you'll hear in the interview, but he's also going to be at the Society for Classical Learning's Summer Conference, which is June 14 through 17 in Dallas, Texas, and that's a conference that's generally aimed at educators and um, administrators, teachers alike, but we're also certainly, if you were in the area, love to come and hear Keith. He's going to be on the main stage, but also leading a pre-conference. All those details are at the sclconference.com. Also, just want to say thank you to our, our four platinum sponsors, Classical Academic Press, the Classic Learning Test, the Focus Group, and the Good Agency. We deeply appreciate your partnership and your support. Well, Keith McCurdy is by no means a stranger to the Basecamp Live podcast. I jokingly call him a co-host as he appears so often, which I'm really grateful. I don't know of anybody more strategically placed on the front lines of what's happening in our schools and our culture today than Keith. Uh, he's worked with families and, and children and parents and individuals for over 30 years in the field of mental health. He's worked with probably close to 30,000 individuals and families. He is not only degreed with his Master of Arts and Education Specialist degrees from James Madison, he's also the president and CEO of Total Life Counseling, and he's licensed in the state of Virginia as a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist. He's also served as a board chair of a classical Christian school in Roanoke. So Keith gets us, he understands the world that we're in, and he's got his ear to the ground understanding and listening to the many issues and questions that are in front of us and along the way giving us great encouragement. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Keith McCurdy. Keith McCurdy, welcome to Basecamp Live. Hey, I'm glad to be back. You are just like I said, you're 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 my pseudo co-host because of your frequency <laughs> here. And you are always 
uh, a favorite here on base camp and Keith, it's, uh, it's, it's a blessing to even get to talk to you. I know you are, I was asking you earlier, compared to a year ago, you are an extremely busy person. How many school campuses are you on these days? Goodness. Uh, yeah, it, it seems silly. I look at my schedule and I think, oh, this is going to be a little calmer, but it keeps blowing up. I, I'm i seeing probably 15 schools a semester. Wow. Uh, so it's so it's a bunch. And, and so fif- probably probably a dozen to 15 a semester. Also doing several parenting retreats with large churches all over the nation. Um, some executive things. I I've even have companies that are reaching out to me to come and do parent trainings for their staff for their for companies know, for, actually. for the corporate corporate yeah. yeah and so and you do corporate consulting too right? i mean it yep. helping executives. I did a lot of executive coaching nationally as well yeah oh my goodness and and you still have a private practice where you're actually seeing and, and i have a private practice and you sleep two hours a night no <laughs> no 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 I, I i get good sleep get, or, or uh, i would be toast no i'm sure well i say all that by way of it's always fascinating just to hear your journey and and a sizable number of those are classical Christian schools, if if not the majority. Is that a fair statement of the 15? Yeah, I, would, you... I would say the majority are Christian classical schools uh, with some different variations mixed in. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, we've said before, I mean, in the theme of this podcast, Base Camp, I mean, it is the idea that you're climbing up to the top of Mount Everest to raise the next generation, which increasingly it feels like three storms just hit the top of the mountain and we're really not sure how we're going to get all the way up there to the top of it. And, and yeah. here you are, you've just scaled down from the top of the mountain you got a little frostbite on your nose and you're sitting at the camp with us and we're Keith, tell us what it's like over the next 10,000 feet going up or, or in the context of this, tell us what's going on right now. And as you've traveled the country, you're getting front hand, you know, front, front, front line feedback from parents that are asking questions of you. You're working with students, you're working with faculty. What are you hearing? What's, can I even ask today what's trending or what's uh, where are the winds yeah. blowing up on top of the mountain? You know, it's, it's amazing. On the one hand, it's um, it's concerning. On the other hand, it's extremely encouraging. You know what I love more than any time in this field. And I've been in this field for 30 some odd years. Um, we're recognizing there seems to be a larger desire for parent education. You know, historically we've gone through pay- phases of thinking, oh, parent education is is kind of a sideline item, but we really, really now, so many folks are realizing, no, we want this uh, because we can recognize we've gotten off course, uh, and you, you know what we consider as reliable sources sometimes, culture, media, psychology, even in and of itself, sometimes the medical profession, that a lot of those have been distorted, uh, and, and so we really need to get back to some basics and truth of you know, what does God really call us to in parenting our children? So that's, to me, that's really encouraging uh, mm-hmm. that we're, we're looking at this kind of through new eyes and realizing, unfortunately, the concerning part of this, you know, I think it's what's motivating us. And the concerning part that I'm seeing everywhere is when heads of school call me uh, again and again and again, the conversation is we are seeing so much anxiety, primary, secondary depression with our students you know, what is going on? How can we as a community not just deal with it in the sense of a reactionary stance in a school system? You know, what do we do if this child is anxious in class? Although those are good practical conversations to have, but schools are starting to grab onto this idea of, no, wait a minute, what can we do to help our community? How can we reach in and help the community in really tackling these issues better as a community? 
Uh, and so I, I think those are the two key things I see. Uh, and again, it's concerning, but yet very encouraging. Uh, you know, the phone calls I used to get were, oh my gosh, we don't know what to do about this. Uh, you know, should we talk to parents? Should we do a community event? Now I'm getting calls. It's like, oh my goodness, we want to do this. We want to jump in and, and help. We want to be a source for our families uh, yeah. and really help them in this process. Well, and as, as you look over, certainly over a 30-year horizon, but we are increasingly in a in a place in our world where few families are living around generational, uh, whether it's family members or just older members of generations. I mean, for throughout human history and certainly Christian history, right. there was that sense of the elders were there to to model, to give encouragement to. And so do you see with, especially with the younger families coming into schools, just even more of a being untethered from even knowing how to parent? I mean, is that because of the distance from families, maybe because of changes in perceived philosophy of how to parent and educate? I mean, because I think I hear that from heads of schools quite yeah. often is that we are, we need to, if parent education wasn't on the radar, it needs to be on there right now. So what right. are you seeing trending? Yeah, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I would have parents coming in struggling, saying we had bad examples, we had to deal with these, these negative situations in parenting. Today, I have parents coming in saying, we just don't, we don't understand the process. You know, what should we be shooting for? What, what is a healthy process in raising our children? Because everything we're seeing from culture and many times what we're seeing our friends do um, isn't working. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I give you another way to look at it. I had a head of school ask me just last week. I was at a very large conference with, I was speaking in front of a couple thousand students and talked to one of the heads uh, that were there. And, and the, the question was this. He said, you know, what is, I mean, think about it, put on the spot. What is the one thing, <laughs> the most important thing you see that is the biggest issue with our students today, if I was going to give him one thing? And I said, well, I, I said, it's, we're lying to them. You know, we're telling them that their feelings speak truth and, are their mo and, and their feelings are the most important part of their experience of life. And that is a, that's based on a lie that feelings can tell the difference between fantasy and reality, and they cannot. They do not discern truth. That may sound like a very subtle thing, but what I hear from students again and again and again and again after I have spoken uh, to, to groups of students is that one thing blows their mind hmm. because they realize how many times they are running on emotions and being broken people, those emotions are not always lining up with truth and how often that has gotten them into drama, into bad situations or driven their anxiety or driven their depression. And so I continue to hear the feedback from students that that is the piece that begins to open their eyes so much to things. Right, right. And, and, and then, so how can we begin to educate that? And then to your question about, in a sense, what you asked was, you know, where is the generational wisdom? Well, mm -hmm. if we tell our children it's all about how you feel. What we are saying, and that's part of a larger therapeutic mindset, we are saying that truth is in your feelings, meaning it's completely subjective now. So it's all, you know, it's you finding your truth. It's our own personal Oprah right. moment. Uh, and, and to say that means no one who's gone before us really has anything to offer. And so culture has really done a great job at, at killing off the idea of generational wisdom. Folks who've raised kids before, the church, teachers, those who, are, who, who know how kids work, we have basically said it's really all about how we feel, not right. wisdom that you may know.
Well, and in the spirit of what we're trying to do on this podcast, it's really create a forum for FAQs for questions to be asked. And I think just acknowledging here at the beginning that we are in a different era, a different age. There is, I think of Oz Guinness, who talks about sort of this, the cut flower uh, of, of culture where for so long as, as Western culture ended up, you know, the latter half of the 20th century, so much of sort of what was considered kind of common decency or faith or just character, those were Christian values deeply set generations before decades before that just sort of lived on in kind of the cultural norm of the day if you I mean how to parent common sense if you will and i think today we've obviously drifted so far away that when i talk to school leaders and equally to parents who were saying we need help and i think if you know I've probably mentioned on the show before our good friend russ greg who so an amazing job at hope academy this inner city school in downtown minneapolis mm-hmm. 96% graduation rates, really broken environment, but he had to put a commercial kitchen into his school because kids were showing up having not had food to eat and you can't educate kids with no food in their stomach. And I think right. increasingly we're finding ourselves, if you're a parent, recognizing I need to be a part of my classical Christian school because I just need other parents and people ahead of me in this process to help guide me through this thing called parenting because yeah. I'm I'm showing up feeling empty. And I think educators are saying, wow, we really have a lot to teach you about, you know, the great, you know, great books and all the great classical learning. But right now, if you don't understand how to basically parent in your home, so we need each other more than we ever have. Well, and there's another part to that lie as well. That's even uh, more insidious. We've told parents that parenting is not a simple affair. Simple is not easy, you know, but we have told parents that it's this some elaborate thing that only a professional knows how to do, that you as a parent are not equipped to parent your own child. And that's a lie. The, right. the number of parents that come into my office completely discouraged about the idea that they would have the ability to parent, and they hear a lot of simple, basic truths, and it totally changes their outlook on, wait a minute, so we can do this. <laughs> and I have that conversation with parents all the time. You're yeah. equipped. You're equipped to apply simple truth in how yeah. you parent your children, onboard them to life, it is a simple process. It's not only in, in the halls of the experts, you know, hidden from, from your view, but that's what culture presents. That's why, you know, a hundred years ago, you had a problem with a child, you'd go ask your mom, hey, when your child right. did this, what'd you do? You know, because right. clearly there's this collective base of wisdom. Today, people start Googling people online with my credentials, whether we know anything about them or not. And that's a surefire way to find no point of commonality. You're just going to get everything from let your kids run around like little monkeys and paint the walls to, you know, lock them in whatever, you know, lockstep and perfect everything. And so what, yeah, how do we parent? What does it mean to be that? So again, we're excited. I'm excited to have you, Keith, on this podcast and to be more intentional than I think we've ever been. We do pick, I think, some pretty good topics, but I really am interested here after the break, we're going to actually take real questions from our real listeners who are saying, um, this is a very one-way podcast. We hear you talk. I have things (laughs) I'd like to ask. So great. Uh, info at basecamplive.com it will come straight to me and we'll set it up and 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 have and Keith you'll be able to answer those questions as well as we're gonna yeah, I love that idea jump into just questions you have so before we get a break just again curious as you're you're um you know again coming down from the top of the mountain and and uh what's what are the winds blowing what else is blowing up there as far as what are you kind of seeing trending what's happening um of late that would be good for us to know about yeah, I, I think besides the the rapid increase in anxiety that we have been seeing just over the last 10 years, 
um, still a constant struggle for parents is where do we put technology? How do we manage it? And, um, and I think that's something we're going to explore some more, but really look mm-hmm. at h- how do we manage this thing that culture is telling us is, is wonderful. You know, the last stat I read is the teenage population. Uh, right now, there's a 97% full saturation rate of social media. The main target right now for social media, for technology is grammar school students. You know, so th- that's who's being targeted. And so as parents, right. um, how, do we, how do we view technology? You know, how, how are we seeing it? What role it, should it play? Should it not? So I see that as an ongoing struggle. Everywhere I go, I hear that. And then the third thing I hear quite a bit um, right now is so many of what others and I call it, you know, social contagions that are out there. But, you know, one primarity is the world of identity politics we found ourselves in and just how we have distorted some basic understandings of life. And, yeah. and, and the stats we have is it's made things worse. Absolutely. Well, we're, we are going to um, come back and talk. I really do want to hear just sort of fresh. What are you hearing? And again, some fresh suggestions and recommendations, because technology to that point is I was just um, in Atlanta last week at a big um, SCL symposium with leaders and a group of leaders pulled me aside and said, just actually familiar with this podcast and talking about what we call the 301 problem. And really, I think it's uh very much top of mind. And I, I agree with you that what used to just sort of be, we need to kind of keep our eye on technology is now um, unavoidably in our face. And we're going to have to make some decisions. And what does that mean from a curriculum standpoint, from an hours in the day, from how do we train parents? So we're going to get into that here in just a minute. Why don't we take a quick break, Keith? We'll come back and I want to read you a couple of questions that have come in from listeners because I know they're eager to hear your response. So we'll be oh, right, great. right back with Keith McCurdy. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed in your faith. Be transformed in your relationships. At Union University, you'll find excellent Christ-centered academics and a vibrant campus community that will nurture and support you as you pursue God's calling for your life. Start your journey today. Schedule your campus visit at uu.edu visit. At Union University, be transformed. Our promising young people need a new kind of college that cuts through the failings of the mainstream university and challenges them to turn their conviction into action. Introducing Hildegard College, a new classical Christian college that reclaims the fearless pursuit of the good and the true for the leadership and virtue we need from the next generation. Hildegard uniquely combines a classical liberal arts curriculum with an education in entrepreneurship. Our program is focused and affordable, created for young scholars who seek the rigor of classical education and also the practical knowledge they need to put their passion into practice. Hildegard is located in the cultural hub of Costa Mesa, California, and is currently accepting applications for its inaugural freshman class. Learn more at hildegard.college. Keith, so excited about this new segment. We have a listener that actually wrote us the question after listening to one of our episodes that you were on not too long ago. So this is from Sarah. And by the way, let me just say this as part of this new idea. We're going to want to kind of protect your um, your your privacy. And so we're not going to get into your last name or what school you're at, but just to make it friendly and true to, so, you know, it's actually your question. We'll just use a first name and that's, uh, I think it'll work really well for these FAQs and photobasecamplive.com. Um, if you do send me your full name in school, that's great. I won't use it in this purpose for the FAQ with Keith, Keith, but um, for other purposes, I'd love to shout out. So still want to have those come in. Let me know where you're listening from. Always good to hear from our listeners. Okay, Keith, here we are. This is from Sarah. 
And she writes this. She says, I love all your episodes with Keith McCurdy. Well, there you go. Look, see, that's why that, that's there's a butt coming. There's a butt coming. However, <laughs> no, I just listened, she says, to episode 227 and found it both encouraging and frustrating. I love the honesty. This is great. She says, neither of my kids. And by the way, well, let me just read it. And then we'll kind of remind folks what this episode is about. Um, she says, neither of my kids fit the stereotypes for their genders. In fact, they're quite opposite. So hearing boys in the dirt and girls only caring about relationships and hair ties is frustrating. It's frustrating because it's been the biggest stressor in our parenting journey. It's scary to raise a boy who isn't loud, rough, and dirty in a world that will tell him that that's because he's not really a boy or whatever nonsense they come up with. I love that classical Christian education emphasizes music, theater, and arts for all and doesn't gender every hobby. Anyway, I guess my question is that I'd love to hear more about raising kids to be strong men and women of God, even when my son is intelligent and relational and doesn't like conflict, and my daughter is loud and aggressive and messy. So Sarah's referring to the episode we did about raising boys in our world today, and we talked a lot about these. So what what might you say to Sarah? Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, the, the conversation we had was a pretty narrow one, um, looking at raising boys and some of the things we deal with in culture, but I think she broadens it beautifully. Um, we have two different issues going on that we used to view one way in culture and we now view a different. Um, biology, gender is fixed. Uh, that's, that's an unpopular thing with a very small, loud minority today, uh, but it's an unpopular idea, but it is. I mean, you know, the biology of gender is fixed, but personality is extremely variable. And, and so while it's important to understand and I think it's important for our children, especially when we talk about, uh, you, you know, their development and um, in many ways, uh, sex education and things like that. Understanding the power and the beauty of why God made us male and female uh, and why that is so important and that it is a driving force in some key aspects of who we are as individuals. Uh, but also accepting the full variability of personality that God gives us. And, and that's a realm where we have a ton of choice to develop as well. Uh, you know, it's that idea that a girl that is a tomboy, you know, loves to play in the dirt, loves to rough and tumble, or a boy who loves art and writes poetry. You know, these are wonderful things to be celebrated. But the, the difficulty we have today is while we have always known biology is fixed and personality is extremely variable and, and all can be reflections of God, we have now reversed that. And so we're, we're saying to our world that biology is now variable and personality should be fixed. And the way it really gets in the way is we're now saying, oh my goodness, if you're a, if you're a tomboy as a girl, well, clearly your biology is wrong. And yeah. so you now need to reverse and change and, and do something about your biology that you really cannot do because your personality demonstrates your biology is wrong. In essence, we are now saying there should be no variability from gender. And if there is, your gender's wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and that's an extremely confusing picture for parents. And so what I talk to parents about all the time, and I think this is a beautiful thing in the classical world, is the classical world celebrates what I would call the full measure of the personality of Christ. Uh, you know, and we're looking at, at really two different categories. One, the characteristics of, of what God calls us to, you know, whether it's good character, whether it's honesty, what, you know, all, all these things that we put in the realm of character. But then we have this full measure of the personality of Christ. You know, we can be courageous and meek. Both of those can go together. 
You know, it's this idea that we are more than our gender. And I think the classical world has a place for that. You know, I, what I love in the classical world are seeing, and, and this falls into kind of the tomboy world, so many of the abilities for a young girl to experience athletics in a way that only a very small portion can in a public system. Mm. Or in the, in the world for a boy, the, the ability to pursue, in a sense, uh, you know, the, the view of the, you know, being a Renaissance man, loving poetry, appreciating art, uh, being able to experience beautiful music. This is offered to both because we yeah. accept that there's wide variability in personality and it's not tightly driven by our gender. I think that's so good to be reminded of because I, I know I've sat in, uh, you know, prospective parent conversations and interviews and, you know, the dad will pull you over to the side and will say something like, you know, I'm, I like the school, but I'm just a little worried that, you know, my, my son here is going to end up, you know, taking violin as a requirement in sixth grade. Like, is that, is that going to be okay? Cause it doesn't look like that's what I want my boy doing. I'm like, well, <laughs> to your point, if that were all he were doing uh, maybe, but it's, we, I think that's beautiful. Renaissance, kind of the Renaissance, all, yeah. you know, well-rounded, of course, I mean, without confusing gender, but it's so complicated today, Keith, because yeah, it is. we get so scared if the neighbor comes by and our you know, daughters out there hammering something that, you know, well, I, she's, I, she's confused. Know, use, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I'll use my children as examples. You know, my son, I, I often tell stories about my son. My son's a collegiate athlete. He is, you know, at any given point, he grows a beard and looks like an Alaskan. He's about six, <laughs> six, 200 pounds. He's a walking muscle. And, and yet he loved being in theatrical performances in his school. Yeah. Right. He loved it. And, and and the videos we have of the I mean he would he would eat it up. It was a wonderful way to express other parts of how God has made him, and right. it didn't make him less of a man. It made him more of a man. Yeah. Well, and I think this. My, go no, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, or my daughter, who uh, you know, not only was able to experience athletics, but even now as a designer, loves to build furniture. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we're allowed this wonderful mix of personality uh, and it should be celebrated. And that's, yeah. you know, the experiences I've had both personally and when I work with so many students. Yeah. Well, and I think to back to Sarah's question, she commented, she loves the fact that classical Christian education does emphasize this variety from music and right. theater and arts. And, and I, I think that was a good point you made earlier just to emphasize before we go into the next listener question, which is that that's one of the true values of a classical Christian education. There is room and breadth without the stereotyping and the negativity that I think is so often in other maybe right. larger school environments where, oh, well, you're in, you're, you're, you know, back in my day, it was the band kids, you know, oh, you're one of those. And that you, <laughs> right. it's like, why, well, I want everybody to experience it. You should be able Absolutely. to be and go Band's to play awesome. athletics and, but, you know, like, can we just stop yeah. with all the stereotyping? So, and, and if uh, you think about how we have now twisted that in many other realms of education, where we now, and again, this is a small, but very vocal minority. Yeah. Now we are wanting boys to compete in girls sports or we're wanting biological females to compete with i mean it's it, we're confusing yeah, the variability of personality and interest and desire with fixed yeah. biology and, and in the meanwhile chaos it's exactly now we've just got yeah. chaos and and nobody's winning in that model all right next question from one of our listeners um they're asking so the question is do you recommend homework time as a defined routine or just let students figure it out as a way of helping them develop their own maturity? How would you respond to that? 
Yeah, I, I think um, we need to break this up in a couple categories of age. Uh, in my experience, children will, when left to their own devices, will only do what pleases them. And I've never really seen homework. I think adults great. do that too, by the way. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we're actually called in Deuteronomy to ingrain truths in their life. Uh, and I think that earlier in life, we ingrain certain habits that will lead to more freedom than with choice as they grow and demonstrate maturity. And I'll give you a great example. Um, I often have parents referred to me from local physicians um, who who are wondering about prescribing meds for the child because the child is presented uh, with the parents saying they, they have a hard time focusing. We think they have a learning issue. Um, a, a teacher has told us this. Other parents have told us this. We want to try medication. And, and the professional very wisely says that may be a good solution, but it shouldn't be the first. And so they often come to my door with that kind of complaint or that, that presenting issue. And my conversation with those parents, and these are typically grammar school students, and my conversation is great. We, we need to figure this out. We need to really figure out what's going on with your child. So you need to baseline your child for three months. And they say, great, what does that mean? And I say, well, number one, they have no use of technology. They can't even look at your phone to check the weather. And this is when the parents about pass out. And I say, look, you're looking at getting an extremely powerful psychiatric medication and giving it to your child. And we don't fully understand all the ramifications. It may be needed, but let's make sure. And so they're like, okay, okay. So no technology, no television, no screens, no gaming, zero three months. The second thing is, and I go down the line, uh, a, a set bedtime for three months, even on weekends, same bedtime, uh, where they can get nine hours of sleep. The next is make sure they eat at least three meals a day, maybe five, depending on the family's eating habits, but especially breakfast, healthy meals. The next is making sure every day they have at least 30 minutes of outdoor activity. If it rains, buy them a raincoat, you know, get them, get them to where they're adaptable to all kinds of things, right. you know, in the environment. But the, the, the main key is after school, put life in order for them. And, and the after school order is, and again, it's not forcing them to do homework. It's not chasing them around, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. It's connecting the most basic learning tool of childhood, which is cause and effect, uh, which is we don't really care when you do your homework, but all the stuff we can, control in the world of a grammar school student, we control everything else. You can't do anything else you want until this homework's taken care of. And we don't need to elaborate now about what right. happens and how we navigate it, but it's, it's holding the gate saying, you need to take care of these requirements first. Then it's once the homework is finished, right. now you're of service to the family. You take care of your chores. Once that is finished, now you have freedom. When we put life in order like that, we give children a picture of what the world looks like and how to better navigate it. It's rarely right. learned on their own. Now, funny enough, when I have parents do this for three months, the vast majority in the last 20 years, especially the last 15 years with technology, well over 95% come back and say, my child's normal. We don't have to get into all the things that were contaminating it, but it's important we baseline our children. And a huge part of baselining is routine. And so in my world, when we put grammar school students on a routine like that, it builds the habit of understanding order and a habit of cause and effect. When they learn to master that and do it well, and they get to you know logic, rhetoric, middle, upper school, that's where then we can say, now we're going to begin giving you more freedom of where you put this yeah. because you've demonstrated good management with the routine. And we're going to 
open your world up a little more, see how you manage it. If they manage it well and things are still getting done, even if it's a little bit different order, then we open it up a little more. But we're not, we're not going to get there unless we provide the understanding of, of the process first. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, again, Keith, just a comment on this. I think in multitudes of questions I've had over the years, I think, again, sometimes the perception, especially parents that maybe didn't start out in the classical Christian school, is that because it's so, quote, strict and there's routine all day long, they kind of feel like they need to be the antidote to that. So when they get home at 301, it's a little bit more you're in a quote strict school. So let us be a little bit more casual at home. And the yeah. theory is it'll neutralize out or something, but it doesn't, that doesn't sound well, like a really good idea. I, I mean, I will give you the feedback that almost every grammar school student has given me over the years. Once this sort of routine is put in place with their life, once it's in place, like for a month or two, I will ask that student. So how are things at home? They always, almost always say, better. There's less mm. conflict. I'm in trouble less. Less mom or dad doesn't yell at me as much. Uh, you know, whatever, however they frame it. But when that that order is put in their life, order creates stability. Yeah. Yep. And and children are so much more stable when they have a sense of order. Now there is a difference between order versus control and micromanagement. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking put it in order. Yeah. A you got to get through A to get to B. You got to get through B to get to C. Which, by the way, I think really makes us adults a lot more um, settled and comfortable and relaxed when our home isn't chaotic either. So good practical wisdom. Again, probably something grandma would have said 50 years ago, but uh, <laughs> we, we bring Keith well, in now. It is scriptural. When parents ask me my favorite verse, I usually start off with, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. <laughs> that is cause and effect. That's causing you, you get the right. freedom and privilege and blessing once yep. you have put in the appropriate obligation. I love it. I love it. Well, Keith, we're, we're running a little short on time, so we're going to take a, another break. I want to come back. We've, we've kind of, this very interesting idea of social contagions, um, probably worth a whole episode in of itself. It sounds like a scary movie title, but just basically, again, in the spirit of FAQs, what you're seeing kind of trending right now in our country, and you mentioned you know technology, and we're going to, I want you to come back on that, and gender ideology, which is a whole nother lengthy conversation, but I think just a couple of reflection points would be helpful to get into this episode. And again, if you don't hear anything, uh, well, well, I hope you're hearing a lot in this episode, but I definitely want you to hear that we want to hear from you. So info at basecamplive.com, what questions you have for Keith, that this again is something we will, we may even do it monthly, Keith, if we get enough questions coming in. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk contagions. Teachers who love what is true, good, and beautiful are the foundation of a thriving classical school. But most schools struggle to find them. Year after year, school leaders are behind on their hiring and too often make compromises they later regret. Arcadia Connect is solving this problem. Arcadia Connect is the bridge between intellectually, aesthetically, and morally alive teaching talent and the schools that seek them. Their team is building a nationwide network of culturally aligned talent and want to help them find their way to your school. Go to ArcadiaED.com forward slash connect to sign up your school today. Welcome back, Keith, here in this third part. I want to jump in on this very uh, provocative term, contagion. Um, it's not. Uh, it's a word you've picked intentionally when, when you think about what gets in the way of us being successful as parents because the world keeps changing all around us. You're out there, you're hearing 
you're engaging schools and teachers and students. What are the big social contagions right now that are limiting us? Are there barriers for us as parents and educators? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I, you know, when I look at what gets in the way of parenting, and I'm asked that all the time by parents, you know, what is it that continues to block us? Or I hear as complaints, this throws us off. I, I really hear, three, I mean, there's many, but three that are huge and one that's really on fire right now. Um, you know, the first is this notion, and this has been around for a while. This really started back with the big whole self-esteem movement, give children everything they want. It's this idea of Let's keep them as busy as we can. Anything they want to do, we're going to let them do. So we've blown this world up, whether it's travel sports, travel dance, you know, where our children are now less connected to the family. And so when our children are less connected to the family, in all honesty, we just don't have the audience of our children. Yeah. Um, and I'm so sorry that there, it does come down to, in some instances, volume of time. And we've allowed our children to be involved so much that we've thrown things out of balance in the family. A real quick picture of that during the pandemic, huge study that was done, looked at 27 million um, uh, uh, folks' claims with insurance and mental health. We actually saw, while adults got worse, we saw a 10% drop in kids and a 5% drop in teenagers of diagnosing clinically significant issues. Mm. That's the only thing we can really connect that to when you really step back and look is we reclaimed family. Life slowed down. Now we did it accidentally. So when everything opened back up in 2021, most of us went right back to all the crazy. Yeah. But but the life slowed down. Well, you couldn't buy a board game. They're all out. You know, you weren't going out to dinner. You weren't going to the movies. You're hanging with your family. <laughs> the family is still the most powerful tool in raising a child. And so one of the huge contagions is buying into this infective belief of keeping your children plugged into all these things will get them ahead in life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it just didn't true. Which is honestly probably more reflection on our own insecurity that we're going to be called out as being a failed parent because we didn't do whatever the thing is that everybody says we're supposed to do. So yeah, there, there is cultural yeah. pressure. There's no question about it. Yeah. About, yeah. You know, being, being the unicorn in the neighborhood, the one who, who continue saying sometimes, yeah, my child can't do that. We're just not going to do that. And, and parents looking at us like we have three heads, yep. like, you know, and, and they send the message of, well, clearly you're not a good parent then. Right. Well, this is why it's and, so important. And so many of our parents do find like-minded parents within the school community. And I, right. the, the great quote I hear is said so many times, you know, I was looking for a school for my child and I found a community for my family. And that really becomes kind of a, a way to anchor together in that. Yeah, that's huge. All right. Well, so what, Moving through these again, they're all worthy of their own podcast. Yeah, I, but what's what's another contagion? Yeah, I think I think the first is just the over involvement that we throw our kids into. Yeah. The second is something we've already mentioned. It's just our use of technology. Um, and, and I'll give you just a couple quick things to think about because again, I think this is a broader thing for us to explore in the future. You know, technology when we can identify it as a tool for something useful, healthy, helpful, it's a wonderful thing. You know, I love driving places that are far away. I don't want to walk to all of them. You know, it's, you know, mm -hmm. using right. something for efficiency in a healthy way, we deem it's healthy use, a tool, it's great. Technology, when it slides into primary entertainment and filler of boredom, it gets extremely addictive and creates dysfunction. I'll give you a very simple thing to look at. In 2012, we had, uh, if you look at the year 2012, 8.4% of children under the age of 18 
were clinically di were diagnosed with clinically significant levels of anxiety and depression. In 2022, it's 29.7. Hmm. From 2012 to 2022, we cannot find something in the medical world, in the world of, of you know, war, conflict. Uh, we, we just can't find something that drives that. The only thing we can find is a cultural thing, and it's the increased use of social media. Most social media platforms came online a little bit before 2012, but 2012 and forward is when the push was in the realm of our teenagers and kids. So and it, I was, was going to say, I mean, I think so not to, sorry to interrupt you, no. but I want to, I want to get to the, cause I think a lot of people are not in their head saying, yes, I, I don't know that this is a surprise. I think the pressure is back to, as we talked about a little bit earlier is, is it's like, realistically, what do we do about it? And what right. do we do, uh, you know, beyond we've got the filter and all that. And even to the point as schools, as communities, are we, should we be gathering right. students to have this as a topic? I mean, it needs to be more than just a don't do it and I'll get back to reading the great books. So yeah, it's it's a topic that comes up all the time when I speak to students because they're in this world. And when we talk about some of the statistics with technology, they will quickly say, how do we get out of this? Because it's it's so addictive. I mean, they struggle with it. And And when we're talking about filtering and monitoring, we've already lost. We, we don't deal with technology by filtering, monitoring. We have to identify healthy or unhealthy usage. We have to identify when are we first going to introduce it or not. We, we've got to realize that the cultural community, the world community, is telling us technology at its core is good, and the earlier we can get it into our lives, the better it is. And the statistics do not support that at all in any framework. And, and so we really have to look at, wait a minute, is this really something we need to be bringing in at early ages and then have to monitor and filter, which we can't effectively? Or do we need to be looking at things such as raising our children without, in, without any significant technology until they've demonstrated a whole heck of a lot of maturity? I don't know, maybe the age of 16. I remember several years ago, a mom responded to me uh, with an email. She said she'd read an article I, read, I wrote about... Um, uh, you know, evaluating your child's ability to manage technology. And my simple response was, well, ask yourself, how hard is it for them to clean their room? Because the, yeah. the amount of maturity it takes to clean your room is a whole, a whole heck of a lot less than the maturity it takes to manage technology. Well, and the thing that, again, as, as we are never, we never have enough time. We just need to go full Joe Rogan and go three hours. I think that's <laughs> what this is going to end up being. But at any rate, um, we hopefully we're storing up stirring up some FAQs on this topic, but keep the, you know, even talking to my own uh, grown, grown young adult children um, who, you know, two of them are still in college. So I don't know how grown they really are. Um, the point is, is that it's not just technology for technology's sake. I think it's, we look at it. It is right. the, it is the lifeline to being in community. It is the only way in their eyes to even be a part of a community because that's the rules of engagement require technology. So it's so much more complicated and in, Im embedded in the way well life it is works. but, so, but that's yeah. part of the lie you know because that's the lie so many come in with in my office and the number of teenagers that have been depressed anxious suicidal homicidal that have come in my office and a huge part of their treatment is removing technology from their life right but aren't they giving i'm just playing devil's advocate a little yeah. bit i i agree i think that's absolutely the right way to do it but mm -hmm. And again, depending on the circles they're running, and even within classical Christian schools at 301 and after, there is a fairly 
uh, robust connection that's happening throughout the afternoon and evening. So you're basically saying you're not going to be relating to your friends anymore in this well, actually, way. So, well, what you're that, doing, that and that's, that's yeah. the fear, but you're actually creating a problem that we have a solution to, which is teaching healthy social skills, teaching healthy connection, teaching the way to have conversation, to make plans with people, to get in front of them. We're actually teaching when we put that roadblock up, we don't buy into the lie that this is necessary for your social functioning, which is a lie. We now teach healthy community building with our students. And it well, is an uphill battle. Well, but, it's but a I process think that it, it is a different process than just giving into technology. Right. But I also think it has to be more than just the um the one or two parents that just sort of take this on. Absolutely. With their child. I mean, this is a, the point right. here. And I know we're running short time again because I want to get yeah. to this third social contagion. But I think that this is, from my observation in classical Christian conversations with leaders around the country and with parents, I think we have to actually build into the calendar this time to sit down with the students during the school day and robustly address this issue because now we can create a new norm that it's not just yep, me absolutely. and my weird weird kid that aren't on the phone. It's everybody yeah. saying this is how we're, and it's not just a a kind of thin rule that I think most schools have. I say thin in the sense it's in the handbook. Right. We can't have our school our phone out. Well, good, but that's not. Let's get way more intentional. Yeah, why do we have that rule? Why why are we why do we well, even have that rule? And let's then have that conversation. I'll give you a great example. Many schools that I have visited, I hear back later that a senior class or a certain class or a junior class have taken a challenge that I often give them. You know, go a week, go two weeks, go three weeks as a class and go cold turkey. Love it. But then yeah. process it. Yeah, absolutely. Talk but, about right. what you're going through. Talk right. about how you solve the problem of, of being disconnected with technology. Yeah. And it's the same thing as parents, parents that feel like we are disconnected from people that want to raise children in a healthy way. We have to find community. Well, I would, and, I, and, and we need to build that with our students as well. Right. I'd love to hear from if you're a listener and you're a part of a school that has said, we are going to come together, lock arms, make decisions, have a week of fasting. In other words, it's not just the renegade parent doing this, but it's, right. it's a community effort. I think this needs to be, I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to talk about maybe do an interview around it because I think we need to kind of create a new norm of what it's going to have to look like beyond just we put some filters up and gave them a flip phone. It's got to be way more (laughs) involved in that. And that's the the same thing I do in my office with an individual is we we pull things like that out of their life and then we process it during the entire time. And when you can do that with a group, it's even more powerful because you start seeing how community can operate differently. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, well, like anything, I always laugh at style trends, like as bell bottoms and bell bottoms. It's just human nature. If everybody says we're supposed to do it this way, we're all going to go do it this way. It's just how we work. We want to be in community. So if the new norm is we're going to have a conversation and not get on our phone, that could be and, and yet, a beautiful thing. Yep. And behind closed doors in offices like mine all over the country, teenagers especially will acknowledge this is a huge source of my anxiety and depression and stress. Yeah, yeah. This this phone in my hand that I can't put down. Yeah. Cyclops and one-eyed screen monster. I yeah. know. All right. Well, in the spirit of happy, good things like screen monsters, let's talk about one more contagion that is creating barriers for parents today. What do you see with this idea of gender ideology? Big, big yeah. topic in the in the news a lot these days. Yeah, it, it is huge. Um, and, and there is a lot of... Uh, a lot of politics, a lot of money, a lot of different things behind it. But uh, I, I would, this is the response I would 
give. I, I think we need to have a correct framing of, of some of this. Um, I don't think culture is really giving us that. An example is uh, a teenage girl who says, hey, I'm struggling with this. And I, you know, I'm hearing that you know, the fact that I'm struggling means that maybe I'm transgender and I'm considering what that might look like. And you know, what, do you, what do you think about it? Well, correct framing for that individual is to say this, is to say, well, you know, let, let us tell you what we've known to be true for generations that I can pick up, a, pick up a developmental book in psychology and read Piaget from many decades ago. Uh, and we know that during pre-adolescence, adolescence, pre-puberty, pre-puberty, uh, pre-puberty, puberty, this is the most disruptive time you will remember. Now, really, the most disruptive time is zero to two, but you don't remember that. But the one you're going to remember is, is this pre-puberty, puberty stage. You know, the analogy I give for a male, it's a, a, a you know, car being driven too fast down the interstate with the doors held on spit, with spit and duct tape. For a female, same car going off a cliff on fire sometimes. You know, it's, it, it's very turbulent. And what we always used to tell you is this is normal. It's normal to have disruption during these years. Because guess what? Things are changing in your body that are preparing you for another part of life. And God has a plan in all of this. And so biologically, we understood what was going on. No one was surprised. We knew chemically, hormonally, neurologically, that it was disruptive. It was upsetting. All normal. And our message was, hold firm. Trust the people that love you. You're going to get through this and things will calm down. Hmm. The interesting thing is, if we look back at statistics and we look at the uh, LGBTQ community back then, we, we called it lesbian gay community. Um, if we look at that many years ago, the number in adulthood was hovering a little over 3%. Well, the funny thing is, if we look at that number just two years ago, I think it was UCLA Law School did a study, uh, and it was a little more than 3% as adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the population hasn't changed, but think about what that means. It means that 40, 50, 60 years ago, when we told you this is normal, turbulence is normal, we know it's hard, we love you, but we ride through it, trust how you're made. It means we were right 97% of the time. Mm. When we deal with transgender, that up until just about eight or 10 years ago was primarily male, not females, it was 0.01% of the time. So when we told you, trust your biology as it relates to transgender, we were right 99.99% of the time. Again, statistics, just yeah. statistics. Yeah. So uh, you look at this young person then and you just share, that's what we've always told you. But eight or 10 years ago, we changed the message. And this girl will say, well, what do you mean? Well, yeah, eight or 10 years ago, we told you this. We said, if you feel uncomfortable during puberty, it means you were made wrong. So we've totally changed Inverted. the message and yeah. told a lie. And we have distorted and we're attempting to distort a generation. And the interesting thing is, we're starting to see the pushback because we're starting to see individuals detransition at 25, 26, 27 years of age. Now, they do it with a lot of danger. Many are threatened. Uh, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what they're going through now, detransitioning. But it's amazing. It matches also what we know biologically. I mean, the only right. people that get this right about the brain are insurance companies. When does your driving insurance drop after 25? Why? Because then you have more judgment documented. Yeah. Your brain is fully formed or it's, almost it's, formed. It's registering <laughs> right. you know, with judgment and, and things right. like that. 
lo and behold, what are we seeing? We're seeing 25, 26, 27 year olds wake up and say, oh my goodness. Yeah. What did and, I do? Or why was we, I thinking that? Yeah. We currently are saying things that are not based in accepted biological science. It's the first time we have ever separated gender from biology. And it's a lie. It's a lie we're telling parents. We, we are distorting things with, with children. And, and, you know, pushback is coming. So would you recommend then, Keith, that since really we are, we're that little fish swimming in a stream that's flooding the other direction with this opposite message um, about we're not our, you know, our, our biology is not fixed. I mean, it sounds like, again, kind of like we just talked about technology. Is there a place, do you think now that that families need to come together with their children? Um, certainly church needs to be involved. I think the school, I mean, these are topics that our kids are just drowning in. And I think a lot of times yeah. we're like, oh, well, they know what's right. We don't need to talk about that. Let's get back to the great well, books. And, you know, it's I, like, I, where I do we need to step things. in? Yeah. You know, and it, they're related and not related. Use technology and this topic. Um, we need to establish healthy communication early in the lives of our children. Uh, we need to be the resource of all the information they're going to need in life. Now, I know that sounds daunting, but what I mean is we need to be out in front of this information. Too many times today in today's world, parents are playing defense. The world has run ahead. And we as parents need to speak on development. We need to tell our children what to, I mean, practically, what to expect in puberty. We need to have those conversations. It kills me that we've offloaded that culturally to the, to the public school system, to a sex education class. No, we need to be having conversations about how God has built us and what to expect biologically and through puberty right. when our children are younger. We need to have conversations about all kinds of issues in life. So then when our children struggle with things, like technology, they talk to us when they're teenagers. Yeah. So it, our, our job mm. starts very early, building right. the connections with our kids to then be able to flesh out all of this, to be the loudest voice in the room, right. not culture. Well, these are great points, Keith. And again, time's not on our side right now to get into this. I, I think you need to write the book, Keith's Conversation Guide, because I don't think it, these are conversations that come naturally to families because they've not seen it modeled well. And again, we're kind of living in this unique little world of classical Christian education in the church. And how do we guide younger parents as they come through that process so that it's, you know, these conversations are happening in community and in the right way so that right. folks can right. figure out what do I do with this onslaught of messaging that seems very confusing and not helpful. So, well, Keith, thanks. Well, for, uh, yeah, go ahead. And I'll mention one thing on that. When we yeah. are telling our children all of the things in front of them that are going to happen, that yes. may sound a little salacious, may sound a little edgy, but when we're telling them truth and then as they begin going through it, it matches what we tell them, they know we're a reliable source. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're matters. not surprised. This is, you know, not be surprised. prepared. It's called be prepared. So, yeah. well, Keith, thank you for uh, walking us through every one of these is worthy of a much longer conversation. And hopefully we did stir up some more questions. So info at basecamplive.com. What thoughts did these conversations generate. We'd love to uh, read your comments, your questions. We'll get Keith back on the podcast and, and continue to pick up conversations and new topics along the way that you ask. I really appreciate it, Keith. Hopefully um, this has been helpful to our listeners to get their questions asked. And thanks for being on the front line and letting us know what's going on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There will also answer all your questions and more and any topics that you'd like to hear too. Please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.